because a lot of your students are not normal. That's one of today's guests, Dr. Ingrid Laura Guaitimartin, reminding us that there is no such thing as a normal student. Welcome to Music Ed Insights. I'm leadership trainer and former band director, Alan Fire, here with composer and co-college music education program coordinator, Steve Shanley, who has a bit of a cold today. Each episode, Alan and I talk with national thought leaders in music education with practical insights for K-12 music educators. Dr. Ingrid Laura Guaitimartin is the executive director of El Sistema Colorado and serves as conductor of the Conservatory Orchestra of Denver's Young Artist Orchestra. Dr. Rebecca Phillips is professor of music and director of bands at Colorado State University, where she conducts the CSU Wind Symphony and guides all aspects of the band and graduate wind conducting programs. Find a full bios, show notes, and resources at musicatinsights.com. What was a high point for you in this interview, Alan? Getting real about good questions to ask to get to know our students better. That was a fun and practical part of our conversation. What about you, Steve? Although this interview features two accomplished band and orchestra directors, I can't emphasize enough how universal this entire discussion is. Very few band-specific insights and plenty of wisdom for any teacher of any subject. I concur. This is the second of two podcasts we recorded live at the Iowa Bandmasters Association Convention in May of 2023, and the inclusion of other voices in the room makes this one fun, even if the audio clarity of the hosts isn't up to our normal high standards. Let's get to Ingrid and Rebecca. Ingrid, we'd like to start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about El Sistema and what are some things that all music teachers could take from El Sistema to help them as they address issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, access, awareness? El Sistema is relatively new to me as well. I started in August. I always heard of El Sistema, Jose Abreu, who is the father of El Sistema from Venezuela. And for those of you who don't know, Jose Abreu was looking for a path forward for a lot of the youth. In Venezuela in the 1970s, he was a violinist, also a lawyer, and he just started building out and handing out instruments to the children on the streets, literally. And they rehearsed in a parking lot for about three years, and it grew to ridiculous numbers. And then he started working very intelligently with the government to get it put into a bill that would be there and supported year after year. And it still exists today. We have Gustavo Dudamel with a plethora of other phenomenal professional musicians around the world. And so what happened with El Sistema was that it was trying to work through social justice and classical music and the inherent systematic uh, issues that are born and bred from a white European art form that we all practice and that we're all in and enjoy and love, but with the realization that there are barriers that we have to cross. El Sistema Colorado in Denver, where I work, is about 10 years old. And it is helping a very gentrified area to bring music education to students who don't have access to it in a free, 100% free form. So does that require working intelligently with the Colorado government or the U.S. federal government? Or is this all from donors? How do you make all that work? (laughs) There's, we're always fundraising, right? Whether you're a high school band director, middle school orchestra, whatever, we're always looking for funds. And so there's a lot of grants and there's been a big initiative for me personally to bring the donorship and awareness in our community 
community, uh, the federal government and the state grants us about half of our budget a year. They're really happy with the work we're doing. They're really glad that we're doing it. The reason I asked that question, I'm not expecting all of our listeners or everybody in this room to start their own El Sistema program, but one of the most common (laughs) pushbacks or, or excuses for why we don't do a better job of addressing these issues is financial. We don't have the money to buy more music or to bring special guest artists in or things like that. So uh, I think this is a good reminder that no matter where we are, what our job is, if we're trying to do this and do it right, probably part of it is going to involve going and asking some people for money or reallocating our resources in a a different way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think something important, and this is kind of my personal philosophy, there's always money. There's money everywhere. There's money everywhere. People are happy to give it to you. You just have to get on the pavement and ask the right people and be in the room. I have not had an issue with that, whether it be a public school teacher, collegiate or in the nonprofit world. So I think there's support out there. But like I said, that's a very topical issue, the the financial aspect. That's the easiest one to get to. The hardest one is breaking those barriers between cultures and learning about your demographic and understanding where they're coming from and really having context with your family and having a board that's willing to do that. I live in Colorado, which is predominantly white state. And a lot of our board, when I inherited El Sistema Colorado, was white and they were great human beings. There's nothing negative about that, except they really didn't understand the the students and the families because we have Venezuelans, we have Hondurians, we have black and brown people from all over the place. And a lot of them are English second language speakers. And so those barriers weren't crossed yet. Those conversations weren't had yet. So I think that's where the real work lies and also offering classical um, music in a way that speaks and validates who they are. So I, I think that's where the crux of what we're talking about for me is really important. If you want to know how to fundraise or get grants, I am happy to do that with you anytime. There's money. Let's take 60 more seconds on that because I do think that there are some listeners right now who are like, wait a second, I, I need money. It's easy to get money. How do I get money? So you've mentioned the governor of uh, the government and you, you've mentioned private donors, which mm-hmm. probably involve individuals as well as businesses. If a public school teacher who is very busy has a very limited amount of time to go fundraise, which one of those should be their first destination? For me, I always had a booster parent who would dedicate their time and like, here's a gajillion grants. Mm -hmm. Which ones can we apply for? Now the private sector or corporations, they have general operating funds, which are the best ones. So you, you go through a grant application and then when you get, if you're awarded it, you, you turned in a budget already. And all you have to do is just say, that's where you spent the money and, and that's okay. So those are the ones I like best because they're written a lot easier. And then you have Melinda Gates who will just send you a check sometimes um, if you're lucky enough, and she'll send a million dollars. There are like seven nonprofits in Denver that received like $2 million checks without even knowing. As far as corporate, you know, you have to be able to go and present what you're looking for and connect them to the value of what you're doing, whether you're orchestra, band, uh, African drumming, it doesn't matter what you're doing. As long as you can connect that corporate office to the work and to the people and make it relevant for them, they're happy to do it. So if I am a music teacher and I have this idea to commission a composer or bring in guest artists or something and it's related to this IDEA initiative, 
you're pretty confident there's going to be someone somewhere who wants to give me money to help with that. I just got to look. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, well, especially we're talking about IDA, right, which is hot topic for the last five to 10 years. People are willing to do things. And then if somebody needs the support to compose a piece or you need to get a commission, there are plenty of organizations culturally relevant that are interested in supporting those those arts. Bonfil Staten is one of the greatest grantors out there, if you don't know who they are. They're supporting so many things artistically across the country. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Equity Arc, and they're doing some great work in very focused pathway to classical music for BIPOC populations. Yeah, important to remember, this is, and I think so many of our music teachers, they begin the school year with their $750 budget, and they have to do everything with that for the full year. And so this idea of adding more things that would cost money, a lot of times they don't even make it to step two. It's just an immediate, well, we can't do that. And and I think this is a, a great reminder that especially when we're talking about projects like this, that you got to look, but the money's there. We have a fellow Colorado resident next to you here. Rebecca, I imagine that in your position as prominent band director in the state, you have the music teachers of Colorado asking you questions about how they can do a better job. I'm wondering, have you run into anything where they have struggles? They're not sure what questions to ask. Maybe they have questions they want to ask, but they're afraid to ask those questions. What's been your experience the last couple of years? So I think all of us hesitate to ask questions because we want to word it correctly and not offend anybody and step in holes. And right now we need to understand that we're all trying to learn. And if our heart's in the right place, we find people that we trust and we ask questions. Ingrid is one of those people that I've gone to and said, okay, I'm not sure how I say this. And she's said, oh, you don't say that. Or you would say it like this. Um, and I think you know, I've learned a lot about how to ask questions. I still have a lot to learn from all of this as well. But I think the first thing we need to do is be willing to go to someone and ask a question and be open about saying, and correct me if I'm asking this incorrectly. I think that's really, really important right now. If I can piggyback on Please. that, is I think the important thing that you said, Rebecca, was ask the question. Don't be so scared that you can't. And this is not a unique problem with one group of people. I mean, there's so many biases. There's so many walks of life that we've ignored for so many centuries that I'm learning. I'm not, I'm not, I am in no way, shape or form an expert on any of this. What are some of those questions that someone was maybe afraid to ask? And then you thought, oh, you don't need to be afraid to ask that at all. Or even if you're brave enough, like, yep, that's not maybe quite the way we want to ask that question. A- anything like that. You know, I remember um, taking over the presidency of the National Band Association and beginning to want to develop the idea concepts and committee and really build that and, and make all of that part of what that organization was. And simple things like, do I say Black or African American? I don't know. what. Which one should I use? And I called several friends, trusted friends, and got different answers. I went to a clinic that Ingrid gave at Midwest, and it was amazing to just learn about some of the things that she has had happen in her life and anything, you know, whether it be hair or skin or any anything like that, and how you acclimated and realize you acclimated to society and then 
realized you weren't yourself because of that. And I thought, wow, you know, it's really important that we are thinking about our students. You know, you have students in your class, you want to know about them. And so a question that I would often ask or say is, where are you from? And then you said, no, 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 that, that <laughs> be careful about that question. And so, you know, and you can explain more why we have to be careful with that. Yeah, well, I, I mean, when you say where you're from, we're all here, like, right. <laughs> we're all right here right now. Right. And I think it's important to not devalue their existence as a citizen or as an American or as whatever country you're in, they're, they're there. I think a more important question to ask, and I think it's changing our, our mindset is, tell me something about you, you want me to know. Mm-hmm. And they'll share whether it's they love Jello, or that their parents just came from a trip from Vietnam, or they have a new goldfish, whatever that is, they're going to tell you. And I found uh, very quickly that that gave me more insight into my students and who they are culturally, what is important to them, and what is important to them for you to acknowledge in them and value in them, than color, race, age, it it doesn't matter what it is, that they tell you what it is. And I I don't think we listen to that a lot. And as far as questions that people have asked that are, it's funny, it comes down to this, I have ethnic hair. And since a child, and I always bring this up, when I go to a hotel or a travel, they always have normal hair shampoo. Normal hair. And, and that, has, yeah. that has been something for me my whole life. But again, it's, it's that narrow view, right, where I've always known I wasn't normal. Down to my hair, I wasn't normal. And so I bring that up because a lot of your students are not normal because we have created a normalcy, a one line. That says that this is the way that it is, you know, like Mandalorian. This is the way. Okay. (laughs) So I know we all watch. Now it's about learning that there are many ways and none of them are more important. And we're not saying the the old way was bad. We're, We're just saying there are others and we have to acknowledge that and make space for them. So when you ask your questions, really think about what you're asking. What do you really want to know? Is it really important that I came from the Dominican Republic? or that I'm Chinese, or do you want to know where I studied or who I am or how I'm passionate about music or social justice or like, what is the question that you're asking? One of my favorite questions that I heard from a previous guest that a teacher could ask their students is, will you please sing me a song from your childhood that you liked? Fantastic. I love that. And and that gives you so many different perspectives, right? Because it's not just a song that they wish to share. You know, you understand the relationship in the family. You understand the language that they speak. You understand the, like, there's just so many layers. And if they can sing, I mean, as musicians, can they match pitch? Is this going to work out? You know, (laughs) I know where we all are, right? So the access issue, something that El Sistema doing a great job of, of addressing. But overall, in our country, if you're playing a band or orchestra instrument, you probably had some means. You were in a school with some means. You had a family with means. And because of our country's history, probably means you're white, more likely than not. So I'm guessing so many of our listeners are in front of groups daily that are almost exclusively white or, or white with maybe a couple Black students or one transgender student or that we know of that we know of. Yes. So I think one thing is I talk to teachers about this. How do we ask them about themselves and learn more about them, their culture, where they come from, whatever it is, 
without making them feel like they're being a spokesperson for whatever that piece of identity is that makes them, as you said earlier, not normal as compared to everybody else sitting in the orchestra with them or the band with them. I think there has to be a a certain level of safety established by the teacher, period, regardless of who's sitting in the room and what that demographic looks like in any way that you want to see it or the way it exists. If you've developed a safe classroom, I think sharing is really great. I'm a real proponent of Padlet. Anybody use that? I ask questions and the kids can answer anonymously. And because of the texting culture of today, they love answering. They, if I went up to a, a student and asked them the same question, they would give me, I'm fine, cool, thanks, no. Those are the, those are, that's what I get. But if I put it up on a Padlet and I said, okay, you guys got two minutes to answer those questions. Man, they will tell you their life stories. There's like 15 bubbles for one kid, right? Because they're used to doing that and they feel very comfortable doing that. So I, I, I like to create projects for people to go home and say, okay, I want you to go to your family. You've got a month and I want you to find the oldest person in your family, whether they live with you or they live far. And I want you to ask them about their childhood. And I want you to ask them about what li- music they listen to. Or I want you to ask them about what's their favorite food and why, and what memories attached to that. And, and then they'll share it. And they love it. And you're doing so many things at the same time. Now they're going home and speaking to the family <laughs> on purpose with a goal, right? And their parents are involved in your classroom. And you tie that into a concert program. You tie that into a share out. You tie Like there's so many creative ways that are low hanging fruit that doesn't take a lot of time to figure out how to ask those questions where it's not like, again, not about their race. It's not about their, how they present. It's not, it's, it's about who they are, the important stuff inside, you know, and, and we have to get past that barrier of us seeing something different and being alarmed or being shocked or having to question that instead of being open and saying, I want to know who you are as a human being and what makes you tick. Why did you pick the clarinet? Was it because, you know, my cousin played it and quit. And so I inherited it. That's why I play the clarinet. Not that I play it anymore, but like uh, there's, there's so many idiosyncrasies and interests. That's what you remember. Uh, the, the, the topic of your conversation after you leave those students isn't going to be, well, I have a black student, an Asian student, a Dominican student, uh, whatever. That's not going to be it. Like, Man, I got this kid who's playing bassoon. That's so great. And they just start, you know, those are the stories that we share. We had this great concert. It's, it's all, we forget that that's where, you know, if I ask the classroom right now, you know, these wonderful people, Think about your best performance, your most aesthetic experience you've ever had. Nine times out of ten, when you discuss that with the people next to you, you're going to talk about connection. Oh, my gosh, that was the greatest group of people I ever taught. Or I was sitting with them, and I had the best conductor, or I had the best. They're, they're not like, oh, they were BIPOC and LGBTQ+, and they were born in this state. But, like, nobody's listing that right? That's, that's like a small window of that issue. What we're working with here are people who want to learn, right? Like you said, how do I ask those questions? Ask questions that teach you about the person and connect them to the music you're playing. And white, I, I, feel, I feel like, you know, that re- reverse racism. Why have we washed out what white is? All white isn't the same. German, Irish, and I've traveled to these countries, right? The food is different. The culture is different. The music's different. You know, so it's about celebrating the culture and the people in you and bringing the, the music that represents them and then bringing the music that helps them learn about the person sitting next to them or the person sitting across the globe. Why not? And you mentioned in that answer 
this great performance that we had. And I feel like sometimes as we're addressing some of these issues, it's because we haven't been and we need to be, and that's important. But often lost in that is we're also doing this because it's going to make the groups better. (laughs) And if you are just kind of the most concerned about the final product, what that concert recording sounds like, and that this can appeal to that mindset as well. Because as you said, start with creating a culture where the students feel safe, comfortable, able to share. Well, they're probably going to be making better music for you than for a teacher where they don't feel those things as well. We do have a question. I can't tell if this person wants to stay anonymous or if they want to come up. Here. You, want, you want to come? Why don't you come up here, Pat? Come on, join yeah, us. So, so holler it into that microphone there right there. So are we finding that anytime we select music that's written through a social justice lens, that people are assuming we're trying to make a political statement? And is it okay for educators, music educators, to make statements through the music that we select? Oh, I think all of that is happening at all levels. You know, there's the token, oh, I have to have a black composer. I have to have a female composer. You know, so you have your perfect program and then you're like, oh, let me call somebody. I need a piece written by this little angle and narrow view to add in. And it can only be two minutes and 41 seconds. And I'd like, you know, I, I mean, we're, we're all insane. I know, I know that. Right. So it happens at that level, but there's also where people call me and are say, Hey man, I, I want to have a really great tapestry of composers. And I'm looking for something neoclassic and I'm looking for something. And, and that opens the world to like, there's composers of every type writing all sorts of music that fits all sorts of genres. And, and what we lack is that knowledge because we were, you know, we don't, we all know Percy Granger, right? That's what we know, right? Because we weren't taught in that time period where we explore these composers, right? Or Florence Price, who's had this revival now, right? Because now somebody said Florence Price and then somebody else said Florence Price. And now that's the only one we know is Florence Price, right? We're, we keep doing that because it takes time to learn. And you can have a political statement or you can have music that relates to students. We need to give our kids the space to be humans and for them to ask questions and for them to have a platform to discuss these things. And that's what I think these concert programs should be. We have somebody here who who asks, then would it be fair to summarize the IDEA concept is value the individuals in our classroom and almost ignore the group or groups we assume they belong to? No, I I, I think, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Really feel angry. No, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you all of it. If we're ignoring any part of that, then we're not valuing who they truly are. If, if you're just tolerating, I hate that word. Tolerance is the worst thing. Equity is also a bad word. Civil rights, right? And let's be real. Ignoring a human being for who they are. Why are you there? Yeah, I think, I think, I think the question asker is looking for that balance between just making it a safe space in general um, but then also being aware of the group of groups that people are a part of or identify with, but then not overemphasize again, just trying to find that balance. There's a great piece that Julie Giroux wrote, uh, The Grace of Being. Grace and Being, I'm forgetting yeah. one of the prepositions. Um, it's a fabulous piece about a colleague that lived their whole life and on their deathbed admitted that they were gay. And they live, lived their whole life on a tightrope, right? And and obviously, the center of that is that person's journey. Why wouldn't we play this for our students? How many of our kids are struggling 
maybe not gay, straight, maybe, but they're struggling in being who they are. And the grace of being, that's, that's a sentence right there. I mean, I know I, I lack all sorts of things graceful, and especially in, in your ups and downs in your life. I, I mean, I can go for days talking about that. So no, don't ignore it. That's not the central part of that conversation. And I think it's important, you know, if we do know that, that we have a group of students and a type of music is very, very important to them, and we are able to celebrate that music, I think that could be an important part of the classroom and turning that into, I mean, turning it into an entire thing where it involves not just music, but maybe even food. And, you know, what whatever is special just celebrating other cultures, things that maybe aren't what we are necessarily doing in our home. I think those things can be really important. Those are memories that I have. Music's about expression. It, yeah. And if you're going to express yourself, it, it's going to have yourself in it. And if that's what we're trying to instill in our students, that we need to let them be themselves. And we have to acknowledge what that is and what they want to share about that with us. That also promotes advocacy, agency, identity, belonging, None of those are bad words. Yeah. Ingrid, can you talk a little bit about like the, the makeup of El Sistema, the students involved in that, and how like what it's like to have kids from, I assume, different parts of the city or community? Because I think you mentioned before about when we talk about diversity, we don't talk a lot about socioeconomic diversity a lot. And that's one thing that Will and I spent a lot of time on this year in our program. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the socioeconomic diversity within the group or, or kind of how El Sistema tackles that issue? As far as the demographic, I think it's something that I really have enjoyed this year because I'm used to working with kids in my classroom, in my school, in a school culture, right? But this is, kids are coming from all over the place in Denver and they're coming from all different schools. They're coming, and, and it's created a culture. And as a matter of fact, thinking about developing satellite locations at schools is one of the deterrences is that they don't get to come and meet somebody from this school, somebody from that school. And so our students have created a space that's incredible and has been very little guardrails from us. They, they love seeing each other and catching them. The first thing they do when they're taking out their instruments is like, oh, how was school? Oh, my God, we played that football game. Because we don't need to give them fodder. They, they, don't, they don't spend the whole day together. So when they come in after school, they've got plenty to talk. Oh, my God. You know, th those kind of things happen. I, and I think the socioeconomic differences disappear as soon as they walk in the door because we've made everything equitable and in, inside the doors. So one of the most beautiful things when our kids start, they start on paper violins so they don't kill them. Um, and then they have a graduation where they get their real instruments. And I sat outside one day just because I was done being in the office and I watched it happen to be when kids were walking up to school. And I saw this pride of them carrying their little instruments and walking little hordes and being dropped off and coming into the building, being so excited to have autonomy to have a, a different social culture that they've created. And they don't, yeah, they're not thinking about that. I created this, <laughs> but they are thinking about, I'm excited to be here for so many different roles. So it actually hasn't been a thing. Could I ask each of you a few questions, rapid fire, light topics, low stakes. I promise your favorite place to eat in the Denver area. Uchi. Uchi. I love sushi. So that's the sushi Fantastic. to eat in Denver. Yes. 
Rebecca, a book that you have read in the last couple of years that doesn't have anything to do with music that you might be willing to recommend. I love mysteries. The older Patricia Cornwell books I really like. The newer ones I'm not as much of a fan, but when you go back to the beginning of the series. Yes, fond memories of those on my coffee table that uh, my mom read. Uh, Yes. Ingrid, a piece of music or a musical artist that you wish more people knew about? Eddie Hardy is a violinist. Uh, He's from New York City, and he's uh, getting his doctorate at UNC in Greeley, Colorado, and we met him recently, and he writes a lot of his own music. He's got a website if you listen to him, and he just did, played for our, came and worked with our kids. Amazing. Eddie Hardy. And finally, Rebecca, a great three-ish band piece that you think more people need to be programming that they don't know about. Well, the one that I've come across recently, I think everyone's programming, and that's Kataj Copley's uh, Halcyon Hearts. So I, I think that becomes a popular That one has caught on, yes. That has caught on. I am looking forward to finding some more music that Kevin Day has done at that level. Dr. Ingrid Laragoiti Martin and Dr. <laughs> yep. Rebecca Phillips, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been great. Thanks thank so you. Much. Thank you. Guys. You've been listening to Music Ed Insights. Please support this podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing it. Reach out to us on our Facebook page, Music Ed Insights, or via Twitter at Music Ed Insights. Our website is also the place to find program notes, links, and a one-page download of this episode's key takeaways. That's musicedinsights.com. This podcast is sponsored and supported by The Normal Design. Helping normal companies and normal people create memorable, meaningful, and professional designs and branding. Learn more at thenormaldesign.com. Also, Winterset Websites, website design and maintenance, wintersetwebsites.com. Group Dynamic, a leading provider of youth leadership workshops. Allen works with dozens of schools each year to help develop their leaders. Learn more at groupdynamic.net slash youth hyphen leadership. Or you could email me at alan at groupdynamic.net. Also sponsored by the Co-College Music Education Program. They've got a website too. Just click on the link at our website or email me at shanley at coe.edu. New episodes generally drop every two weeks on Monday. Get current. Stay relevant. Music Ed Insights.